world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Yeah, my my Tex-Mix tacos are good, but I know that I'm like, you know, uh, yeah, not, not, I'm not giving my taco experience its yeah, full if, potential. If your taco looks like it's just a nicer version of a Taco Bell taco, it's not really a traditional Mexican taco. <laughs> I knew that as much, but I didn't know if like, you know, you guys are like, it's fine, whatever. Like, we'll just, you know, yeah, like, I didn't know if that was any way acceptable the, or whatever. The moment like, this taco is like... seasoning comes in, it makes me mad because it's... Okay, so it makes me mad because it's taco seasoning, but what is the flavor? There's no flavor. Like, there's not Chil- a specific Chili thing. powder? <laughs> no, it's kind of like, like buying birthday cake ice cream. Because any cake is birthday cake. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> like it's, it's just generic cake flavor. It's not even... It's, just call it like butt cake flavor. I don't know. Like, but it's not... Any any cake can be birthday cake. I feel like that's got to be someone's nickname somewhere, and not in like a positive way. Hello, I am generic cake flavor. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I can think of is what they called... Um, Banks, the the uh, rich kid in uh, Mighty Ducks, they called him Cake Eater, you know, because he was from like the uh, the right side of the tracks, I guess. I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know. Maybe that's uh, what we should call uh, Chuck Sprightly. We should refer to him as, uh, you know, generic cake. Be like, you know, white cake boy. I don't know. Cake Eater also sounds like that would be like the title of a kid friendly James Bond adaptation. <laughs> what? Cake eater. Cake eater. That's it's awfully the close to snake eater, and I appreciate that. Oh goodness! Oh goodness! I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Speaking of things that are close to other things, this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where our whole shtick is comparing things to other things, and talking about things, and ruminating about things, and sharing our opinions about things, even when those opinions might be right. Or wrong. Uh, my name is Steven, and I had a root canal today. John Aldo, how are you doing? My root canal was uh, weeks ago, so I'm great. Aldo, when are you getting your team matching root canal? Uh, it's been delayed, so I don't know. Probably not anytime soon, really. I don't know. I, I have to reschedule. I have to check with the insurance company. We have terrible insurance here at Superhuman Registration Podcast. So I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because, like, it's something that's important, but nobody ever rushes out because it's like, boy, oh, boy, sign me up for an afternoon of pain. I, no. I, okay, no. so part of the reason why I don't like the dentist is because I went, because I had a few teeth removed, like, not too long ago. Well, a little long ago. I think it's been about a year. And one of my teeth was, like, shifting, and I was a little concerned. And so I went to the dentist. I was like, yeah, I'm just here for, like, a little checkup. I have this one tooth I'm concerned about. Cut to like 15 minutes later, this dentist all up in my mouth, poking and prodding my gums. And I was like, I just had a question about one tooth. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, anyway, so here's like this whole thing. It's uh, so you need to get a cleaning. You need to do this. You need to do this. How do you feel about crowns? 
how do you do how do you feel about this thing and it's like that's i uh, my tooth how was that and they're like oh that's fine (laughs) (laughs) and they're like anyway so should should we do should we do a cleaning today i was like no i just came in for a question about one tooth stop jeez that's the way a lot of medical professional types are uh anyway Let's uh let's talk about the the books that we read for this week. We read well, I guess we just read one book, but it's got some backup stories to it, which yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we read Arrow, which is an adaptation or not an adaptation. It's actually like a translation of a, a comic that was written, you know, outside the United States, and we'll get into that. But it also has some backup stories featuring the character Wave. All of this was kind of inspired by uh, how much Marvel Snap I have been playing and how often I have decimated people by playing Arrow at Fisk Tower. Uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a good time. Oddly thematic for this episode, considering kind the hours yeah. in the story. Indeed. Do we want to start with Arrow? Or I feel like the backup story is shorter, and so maybe we start with that one. Let's talk about Wave then. and just Take it away, Aldo. Take it a wave. Take it a wave. <laughs> take it a wave. Take it a wave. Take it a wave. Now, there's no avoiding that. It just it just happens. So the backup stories are in six of the twelve issues, and these are written by Greg Pak, Alisa Wong, and art by Pop Mon. There's an H in there, and I'm afraid it's silent. I uh, I fear silent letters. But uh, colors by Federico Blee, letters by Joe Caramagna, and uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, these are short stories that appear in the... Well, it's a short story that is in the first six issues, as I previously mentioned, and they lead into the War on Atlantis event that happened, I think, like a year or two ago. And kind of came and went without much fanfare, as far as I can tell. But we follow a hero called Wave. Her name is Peril Pangan. She is Filipino, I believe, or Filipina. I don't know quite the rules on that. And she has essentially been removed from the Triumph Division. And it starts out with, oh, what was his name? Like Red something? Red Feather. Red Feather. And he's, yep. Yeah, he's coming to take her weapons away from her. And It's, like, kind of it's like a... An actor's warm-up. Red feather, yellow feather. Red feather, yellow feather. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes to take her weapons now that she's kind of been removed from the team because part of her backstory is that uh, she was recruited by an evil organization and didn't realize that they were evil, so she had fought them, and now they kind of don't trust her because of something else that happened. So she's kind of on a small journey to redeem herself. So she goes and... She teams up with Arrow, and they go to this evil facility. And throughout this, they also encounter another person, another hero called Sea Hunter, who works with these mermaids. Or doesn't work, is in love with one of the mermaids. And through this backstory, we kind of realize that the mermaids, and there's like another faction of mermaids, used to kind of work together. And the leaders were in love, and then when Karina, the leader of the Good Mermaids, fell in love with Sea Hunter, they kind of broke off from the other faction. 
And now they're kind of at war and because they were getting attacked by Atlantis. And because they didn't have the resources and the whole thing, their people were almost decimated. So now they're kind of trying to get revenge and trying to get some sort of uh, power from them. So Wave kind of gets stuck in the middle of all these things. And they eventually defeat the leader of the of the bad mermaids. I'm pretty sure they had like a name for their faction. It was like Sirenas or something like that. Yeah, Sirenas, which is just kind Sire- of Spanish for yeah. um, for that, which makes sense because the Filipinos were also uh, invaded by Spain, so that's why they have a lot of similar words. So that like makes sense. Uh, so like, there's also like Reina Sirena, which I, it's Queen Mermaid. So. So Wave and Arrow and Sea Hunter kind of uh, fight with the with the bad um, mermaids, uh, which we find out that they were the ones who set up the evil corporation called like Alentech, and part of that was you know to be able to defend themselves against Atlantis and you know not be so weakened. Uh, so they do this; they kind of defeat the evil mermaids. They fight with Alantec and they don't kill the the bad mermaid leader but she is just going to push back a little bit uh, they say they're not going to worry about her again for a while so you know foreshadowing and that's really kind of it they, they kind of go back uh, the triumph division recognizes that you know she is a good person and they give her her weapons back and they invite her to join back but she tells them that even though She's earned their trust. Red Feather and the Triumph Division need to earn hers. So she's not rejoining them quite yet, but she gets her weapons back. We also kind of get this whole subplot about her, you know, wanting to have a normal life, wanting to connect or stay with her family. So she goes back to, I believe it's like Cebu in the Philippines. And she kind of goes back home. And so that's kind of it. It's a really short story. It's... It, later, there's like a last panel after credits scene of Namor mentioning that, that she's the one he's interested in. Like, she'll be some sort of power player in the whole War of Atlantis thing. But not a whole lot other than that. It's a relatively short story. Thoughts? I, I really liked it. Um, maybe I'm just, you know, taken by the art. And for the life of me, these uh, hybrids, the Allentech hybrids that come and attack right, bef- right before the um, um, uh, Reina Serena reveals itself, you know, at that group, or her, Queen of the Mermaids, just, yeah, the head of Allentech. Um, those are really cool. I cannot for the life. I, I was just at a museum and and saw this type of animal. It's like a prehistoric type of like fish, like not quite dinosaurs. I forget if it was just before the dinosaurs, just after. Um, cannot for the life of me find this in the fossil record because the name escapes me and I can't, can't spell it. But um, the colors are terrific. I, I preferred this art style and we'll talk about more of that when we get into Arrow. Um, but Wave has a really cool character design and Arrow looks cool in this as well. Um, I really like the look of the mermaids. Um, the paneling is interesting and just, just firing on all cylinders art wise. Um, story is pretty straightforward. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, quick in and out. Like this is a thing that happened and not a whole lot, you know, it, it kind of 
takes us from one event to another, it seems like, you know, but it does give us Wave's backstory a little bit, um, which is interesting. Uh, you know, not a whole lot there as far as, you know, depth, but um, I, I don't know. I really liked it. Just... I, actually, I personally was not that impressed with the art. Really? Yeah, especially opposite from you, especially having this right after the art from the main comic. It kind of, <laughs> to, to me, it felt like a step down. Oh. Maybe it's just that they weren't similar enough, but it felt a little jarring, which is a little nice because it helped me differentiate when I was when I stopped reading the other thing. But maybe yeah. maybe in a vacuum or without such a quick comparison, I think I would have liked the art a little bit more. But it, I think having it right next to each other for me kind of I was not such a big fan of it. Hmm. Didn't help it to be have that like close comparison to another style. Yeah, especially because like when we read other books and stuff like that, right? Like there's that separation at least for me, where like I read one book, and then maybe a day, and then I read the other book. So like, I get to judge that art independently. Mm-hmm. But in this situation, that was a little harder to do. So I, I wasn't that impressed with it. I think it's good. I think there's solid design. I do agree with you with the rest of your points. Really good design for Wave. Really like how she looked. Sea Hunter was also pretty well designed, or at least terrible name. Interesting but enough. yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, let's just throw darts at a board of the most basic terms that fit this character's description. Yeah, and like one of the things that I like about Sea Hunter too is that one, they're a lesbian character and they're in a, like this romantic relationship with like the queen of the mermaids so that's really cool like and it's surprisingly cool to see that in a character that's rooted from china because china is very not lgbt friendly granted this is written by kind of an american team right so there's a little bit more freedom yeah, greg pock is he might actually be chinese american yeah but i mean the the team the team is that's doing this is doing this from america correct they're not publishing this in China, like the, the main book, which we'll talk about that later. So, like, that's kind of what I mean. But I do like that the character is, like, armored up. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Samus from Metroid. Minus the yeah. giant shoulder Yeah. Pads. Yeah. Yeah, I get that vibe. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I dug a lot. I like the designs. I think Pearl or Wave has, like, a pretty cool costume that makes sense for a swimmer. Yes. But other than that, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with uh, 90% of what John said. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there is this like cluster of characters, and we've read them a little bit. They all kind of popped up in that Portal City of Pan story from Agents of Atlas. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know exactly where they all came from. I'm getting the impression that they came from War of the Realms. And it's Arrow, and it's Swordmaster, and it's you know, wave just kind of like this surge in characters, uh, specifically from the, you know, Pacific ocean and the countries that are like surrounding it and within it. And they all have really interesting designs and really interesting backstories. I think my major criticism of this wave story is that even though this explores waves backstory and like who she is and where she came from, she doesn't take a lot of action 
it, it feels like Arrow is the one who does most of the heavy lifting. It's kind of disappointing. I think part of it comes from the characterization that Wave is kind of headstrong. She's rushing into things. And with Arrow kind of helping guide or calm her down and those types of things, I think it takes away from her agency in her story. Although it ends really well mm-hmm. with uh, the that moment when Wave tells Red Feather that she's not sure that she wants to go back to Triumph Division. Like, that is a really good choice. Uh, I think it's a really solid way to end that story. And... Oh, I mean, also with the the sort of foreshadowing that Namor is going to come after her. Um, and kind of coupled with the the Allen Tech stuff and the, the Serenas, and you don't quite know who's on whose side, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, when everybody kind of has valid points. Like, there's a, there's a very clear bad guy. It's it's the, the folks who are doing the kidnapping and the robbery and stuff they're obviously the bad guys but they have a good reason for doing what they are doing and that they know that namor and they know that atlantis is going to come after them and they are defending themselves uh like there are enough shades of gray in this story that i think are really interesting and it keeps it from being sort of your standard run-of-the-mill superhero origin albeit one that is fairly well executed um, I'm a little disappointed. Um, I thought the fish I was looking for, the, you know, what they're kind of the armored fish, the little hybrids they have. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, uh, colacanth. That's what it is. It's a colacanth. No, <laughs> not quite. No, a can of Coca-Cola doesn't look like that. Duck, no, colacanth. Never mind. Colacanth was the type of fish. It's not actually. It's a... Dunkelosteus, oh. and I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Named after it's a it's a extinct genus of a large athrodire fish that ex- is it existed during the late Devonian period. I was off on the period, then I found it. Um, in honor of David Dunkel, who was the former curator of vertebrate paleontology at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. So there's extinct fish out there that look like these cool armored like big jawed kind of things that are named after a guy named Dunkel. So I just, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue like you So you're saying the Dunkel fish can do with the cola can't? I, 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 no, no, Stephen. (laughs) No, acknowledge how good that was right now. I don't know anything other than divine intervention that could have lined that up for you, Aldo. Don't that think I so. I don't know how on earth that I I'm glad I'm sitting down for this because I can't <laughs> believe that that just happened to me. Yeah. I feel I feel like I've been like smacked in the face with a rubber chicken right now. <laughs> I have no other frame of reference for how to explain that. So one of the things I was gonna say a little bit, and we can get a little bit more in depth when we read the actual Arrow story or talk about it because we've already read it presumably, but. Hopefully. A lot of these heroes, yeah, a lot of these heroes did come from, well, I think some of them came from, like, War of the Realms, but a few of them, like Arrow, came from Manhua that was, that came from China, that was produced there, published there in collaboration with them. When I was, when we were talking about 
reading this book at the end of last episode, I mentioned that I thought she came from a mobile game, but that's a couple different heroes. It was like White Fox, Luna Snow, and there was like another one. And those came from a mobile game from like South Korea. But Arrow herself comes from this series in China, kind of predating War of the Realms. All of that to say that, yeah, Pangan, um, I just called her by the last name. I've been calling her by all of her names, Pearl, Pangan, Wave. <laughs> <laughs> she comes from uh, War of the Realms, New Agents of Atlas, which I kind of appreciate them kind of taking this approach and introducing a lot of heroes and kind of introducing them from creative teams from their original country or the character's origin country. Granted, Wave doesn't necessarily fit that criteria 100%. She's being introduced by Greg Pak and Alyssa Wong. But, I mean, still diverse teams and, I, you know, we're getting more diverse stories. This is a really interesting story for it being not even six full issues, right? This is maybe the equivalent of two or three complete issues. Which is not a bad way to do it. As, and I say this as someone who, uh, you know, collects trade paperbacks that are typically collections of six issues. It's nice to get, like, that chunk of story, but it's also nice to get multiple chunks of story. So if you can do, like, if you can do a full story in three issues and then you do another story in another three issues, like, that pacing is kind of fun. So I, I did wind up, like, liking the wave backup, even though I think it could have done more for the character. Yes. Yeah, it's it's still fun. It's still worth reading. Um, I don't know where you read it except on the app. I know that the the physical collection of the Arrow comic does not have these backup stories, so I'm not <laughs> sure where they've been reprinted. I, I I'd be willing to bet that they're printed in one of the War of Atlantis collections. Oh, that would make sense. The other thing I wish I, I, we could have seen a little bit more, again, kind of in direct comparison to the main story, is I wish we would have seen a little bit more of a connection to wave in her homeland which we get a little bit yes. right we get her we get her visiting yeah. her family and then at the end of the story you know she returns to her home and we get a few things of that of her talking i think it was like tagalog and, tagalog or, or, yeah or somebody else speaking how did you pronounce it i've i've heard it uh tagalog tagalog okay uh, mostly mostly every time i think of how to say it i'm like don't call it the same name as the girl scout cookie oh, those right, are tagalongs yeah. oh god <laughs> but i i really would have liked to see her either either her kind of family or her connection to her country or her home right not her just her country but like her home cuz that is kind of the payoff right is that she goes home she gets to do that and i wish we could have gotten more of that and maybe if this was like a longer story, we would have. But for what we got, um, for me, that was a little lacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, hopefully if there is like, you know, more from this character, we get to see more of that. I think one of the appeals of having, you know, multinational uh, superheroes is to actually see the places that they come from. But yeah, to my knowledge, Wave hasn't appeared again since Atlantis attacks. And so I don't know if we're ever going to get more of that. And again, like part of the reason for me, uh, you know, part of why I want to see these characters, like origins, um, 
or you know home countries kind of be shown a little bit more is because we get to see them in a bit of a positive light that we typically don't get to see right like how often do we get to see the philippines celebrated for the, the country it is in like american media right almost never i don't i like i'm trying to think if i've ever seen anything set in the philippines and i don't think i have unless i don't know is is moana arguably like drawn on this you know no i think that's more pacific america like this sort of like pacific islander hybrid it's it's fictional there's a difference yeah but it's it's like polynesian roots like you know tahiti and a few other islands specifically pulling legends there i don't know what overlap there is with the philippines but i'm pretty sure see i don't know what happened see that's the that's the problem everything i know about the philippines is from like a colonizer's viewpoint you know if it's you know not american culture then it's spanish culture and neither one is you know the the origin of of philippine culture so yeah i'm glad that we got a little bit of that but it would have been nice to like see wave in her home setting and get you know what is that what is life really like in the philippines more than just a few words of tagalog tagalog now i don't now i'm questioning myself (laughs) yeah i i think for me this is a little this is a little funny coincidence i've been recently learning a little bit more about the history of like mexico and the war with spain and you know gaining its independence and not just that but also how it affected other countries other like south american hispanic countries and I kind of came along somebody talking about how Filipinos are different from a lot of other Asian countries because they were specifically colonized by the Spanish. And how, like, that kind of leaves them a little bit of, like, outsiders in kind of the global scale in the sense that, like, although they're technically part of Asia or, you know, that kind of region... They don't really have a lot of similarities with a lot of those countries. And because of the whole Spanish colonization, they also, but because they're still in Asia, they don't also have like a connection with a lot of the Hispanic South American countries. I thought that was really interesting. And because of that, I've been learning just a little bit about the Philippines and the Filipinos. And so that's been, to me, that was uh, an interesting coincidence that this kind of came up. What's what's the difference then, uh, apart from geographically, like why is the, the way that it was colonized different than other countries in South and Central America? Just like the region, really, I think. Just because it's different? Because it's kind of like the only Spanish col- former Spanish colony in the area? Or mm-hmm. there's the night? Okay. Yeah, and it's so separated from like South America. They're kind of like this weird... Uh, I don't know. They're, they're kind of like... like uh, what you know here we call like Chicanos, not quite Mexican enough for Mexico, but not American enough to be considered Americans. So they kind of are in like that weird kind of gray area. So that's kind of like how the Filipinos were, and I know there's been a lot of kind of Filipino like I guess influencers or just people on like TikTok that have been talking a lot about how the similarities between their culture and Mexican culture and how a lot of it stems from the Spanish colonization. That's, that's gotta be a bummer to be like, like not, not fitting in anywhere at all. Cause it's, you know, you're, you're part of two cultures, but only part. And so like, you know, never quite that's. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's one thing for like a, like an individual group of people within 
like two countries, right? But thinking about it like on a global scale, like that's got to be yeah, real different. Yeah. But anyways, that doesn't get explored here at all. So uh, not all that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have strayed from the topic. I think a fair. Yeah. Bit. <laughs> it's it's a it's a small story. Uh, there's a lot of good things it does. I I wish it was longer. I think it would have been a little bit more interesting, and maybe there'd be a little bit more meat on the bones. <laughs> but a little more wave in this story that involves wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does make me interested in reading Atlantis Attacks. You know, which normally I'm like, ah, oh, Namor, you you're a jerk. But uh, I don't know. I yeah. I'm. I wanted to see more of him in the MCU, and then this this is like is a way to get more wave and more, um, you know, more more good Namor. It looks like I don't know. I liked the art. Psh, I love I psh. love that the uh, the Atlantean, or yeah, well not Atlantean, but whatever. I forgot what they call it in the movie. <laughs> I like that their little salute. You know how Black Panther has the Wakandans have like the arm crossing thing. Yeah, I love that the one for the Hispanic people is a is a Kamehameha wave. <laughs> oh boy, I love it. <laughs> it's Disney Plus soon. Maybe I'll actually get to watch it. I hope so. I hope you get to finally witness the greatness of my great king Namor. <laughs> I love it because like his explanation of his name in the movie is pretty close to what Aldo said in passing. Like I think you were joking. But it, like, legit was, like, I was, like, oh, my gosh, Aldo (laughs) called it, called shot, look at him go. It was just, like, (laughs) they did it, they did it. Not to ruin anything for you, Stephen, but Aldo was right this whole time. (laughs) On one thing, really. (laughs) It turned out to be pretty important, but anyway, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not to ruin anything for you, but uh, uh, Namor is much more more sympathetic in the movie than in the comics, where the comics are like, well, he's a jerk. I mean, maybe he's right about, you know, us polluting the oceans, but he's still a jerk about it. And more in the comics, in the movie, you're like, yeah, man, get those land-walking fools. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Oh, wait, I'm a land-walking fool. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's it's, It's like when you watch Black Panther, you're like... Yeah, screw the colonizers. Oh, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like, but, but I wouldn't have, but I wouldn't have, but I, oh. So anyway, should we talk about Arrow? I think let's talk about Arrow. If we have to. So Aldo kind of covered this a little bit, but to reiterate, Arrow is actually a manhwa, and this is full of Chinese names, and I'm going to do my best, but I apologize in advance. Um, so Arrow was written by Zhao Lifen, with art by Kang, and the book was translated into uh, English for the, the floppy comics release and for the Marvel Unlimited release by Greg Pak. Um, and we've got letters by Joe Carmagna from, you know, Virtual Calligraphy. Uh, I believe Kang did the the pencils, the inks, and the colors for the whole book. Um, anyway, so as a manhwa, this is uh, artistically this resembles a lot of East Asian type comics work. So it's it it looks a lot like Japanese manga, but it is a you know technically different cultural background there. The story follows Lei Ling, who is an architect in Shanghai. 
She has been working on projects all across the city, and there are these bizarre sort of crystal towers that have been popping up that she is investigating and taking down, occasionally with assistance from everybody's favorite alcoholic Republican, Iron Man. <laughs> She's also getting training from this mysterious woman named Madame Huang. We don't know much about her. It's seeded really early on. This story is, is actually told in uh, nested flashbacks and back, like jumping back and forth within the timeline. So we find out very early on that Madame Huang is actually the villain, the one who's responsible for these uh, towers that are popping up that are causing so much uh, mayhem and destruction across the city but she's also been mentoring arrow teaching her greater control over her powers teaching her to manifest the wind in a way that it creates essentially a duplicate of her so she's able to be in multiple locations at once and uh it's really kind of interesting the way the story explores arrow's powers she's got a lot of power uh it turns out that if you have control over wind you can do some really interesting stuff with it Couple with that with some, you know, uh, kind of mystical uh, elements. Arrow has the ability to uh, detect chi and to sort of do those almost psychic readings based on, on people's energy. She winds up being quite this formidable character who's learning this sort of lesson about having to cooperate with people over the course of these 12 issues. Uh, throughout the whole thing, Lei Ling is also being courted by her boyfriend, uh, whose name is uh, Zhao Yu. Uh, Zhao Yu wants to propose to her, but she doesn't want to get married quite yet. There's a pretty hilarious bit where she's having a, a fight with these monsters that are coming out of the tower while having a phone call with her mom, who's asking her why she's not married yet. Lots of pretty... Uh, interesting stuff going on. I, I want to tell you how the story ends. Trouble is, I don't think the story really does. We get Madame Huang's backstory where she is uh, kind of the last member of this ancient race that was destroyed, uh, driven almost completely to annihilation. Uh, the last surviving entity lives now in outer space and is is returning it's this giant monster that is basically the size of the city and once it lands it will crush beijing and arrow is trying to stop that from happening that's kind of the the hook into the story and we think that's where the story is going but 12 issues later and we never go back to that so the story never fully gets resolved um I don't know if there are plans to adapt any further. The The final issue of Arrow was published, I believe, in 2020. And so it's been a couple of years. I think it's unlikely that uh, it's just a delay in you know print material coming to Marvel Unlimited. Uh, and as far as I can tell, these are the only 12 issues of Arrow that have been published. And just to be certain, I did check out Atlantis Attacks because they say the book ends by saying see more of arrow in atlantis attacks checked it out there's there's nothing that appears to be linking this story or or stemming directly from this story in atlantis attacks i imagine that the story continues in the manhwa if it's still being published but yeah unfortunately the the story itself does not have an ending uh so it reminds me we've have a couple of other stories i think on the list that have similar uh, kind of abrupt endings 
And to me, this is actually pretty comparable to some of those other stories. Uh, I think it's it's an interesting story. It's got some ambition to it. It's got a unique for Marvel Comics art style that I... Uh, Overall, I kind of like it. This feels like early Takeshi Miyazawa where um, there's that stylization, but I don't think there's the finesse there quite yet. So I would be curious to see uh, how Kang continues to uh, improve as a creator. But yeah, those are kind of my initial thoughts and the summary of the story. What y'all think? It's Shanghai, not Beijing. Oh, got him. I, I said Shanghai once, and I said Beijing once, I think. But you're correct, yes. I, I, definitely <laughs> I only said that because I thought Aldo was going to join me in dunking on you, and then he left me hanging. So I'm so sorry. I was, I was also... Oh, my gosh. I was in the middle of trying to see if the manhua had continued, and I cannot find any, <laughs> like, scanlations or news even about the original Chinese publication. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't find anything on uh, Wikipedia either. I have other resources. Well, you I'm sure you had better resources, <laughs> but I I uh, didn't know where to jump in. Mang, uh, that's that's apparently the same term for South Korean um art like this and uh, I don't know if it's pronounced the same, but Chinese and South Korean is the same manhwa. Um I learned how to spell them slight, just now. Slight so. difference. Uh Koreans, I believe in the Korean romanization, it's with a W, not a U. Yeah. Yeah. But I think essentially they might just be pronounced the same. It might it might be the difference between cool whip and cool whip. Cool whip. <laughs> yeah. Bon <laughs> <Bonhoeur> versus bon <laughs> So I think this was good. Um, it wasn't particularly my style. It's a little too polished. Um, uh, this this kind of manhua style, you know, um, with the little mouth, the big eyes, kind of like the that we we've seen in other media. What it's just it's not for me. But, um, gotta admit, it was still good. Uh, loved, absolutely loved the design of all like the like the crystal monsters, the um, um, like ancient civilization showing like the you know the enormous animals and everything they mentioned. That was super cool. The art got better, I think, as it went along. Um, some of the flashback stuff with Madame Huang was really cool. Um, but yeah, uh, like it was starting to do you know interesting kind of like we're gonna flashback to this moment and do this and. We're going to learn how Arrow now is much better at, you know, being a superhero than she was, you know, at this point and everything. And, and yeah, it kind of doesn't complete. So I, I'm hoping that there's more um, because it would be interesting to get all of that. I, I don't know. didn't, didn't, I, mean, I didn't care about Iron Man showing up, um, but there he was. Uh, yeah. In spite of myself, I was like, uh, this isn't for me. I don't really like this style, but um, you know, seeing it more and more or whatever, I, I enjoyed it. And like, normally I would complain about, you know, like show don't tell, you know, but she's in her head, she's learning how to control her powers and she's got a, you know, she's, she's not, you know, she doesn't have a sidekick. She doesn't have a, you know, guy in a chair, no one that she's confiding in. So this is the only way we're going to get, here's how I'm using my powers. And, you know, I, I, I thought it was really cool that, um, what they did with that, where she can sense, you know, all the people, their heart rates and that kind of thing that she's saving, you know, wherever she's, you know, happens to be where she's using her powers can like 
through the air, feel all these things and sense all of these things and, you know, overhear calls for help, that kind of stuff. I thought that was really interesting. And so, um, in spite of myself not being a fan of this style, I thought it was really cool. And you can't argue with her, like, air cape that she has as part of her costume. That's just, that's pretty cool. It so. is pretty cool. I I really like the really polished art, but that's because that's a lot of the stuff I read nowadays. Mm-hmm. I've actually been, in the last couple of years, I've really been reading more uh, manhwa, mostly because it's easier to read on a phone. Do the, does it scroll like the uh, infinite comics we've yes. read yeah so the infinite oh, comics okay. was a take on that which i think they're still keeping going actually yeah, yeah they still have those coming out yeah not as much fanfare anymore but they're still going and i mean the, some of the other stuff from dc like the bat family comic has also been pretty fun that's also in the same style hmm. i think this is interesting there's one thing i wish i hold on <laughs> i have like too many thoughts and not enough mouth one of the things that's interesting to me in this adaptation and part of the reason why i want to find the original chinese manhwa of this is because i want to see how part of that adaptation is moving panels around because from my experience a lot of those overlapping panels that we see in those pages typically don't actually overlap in manhwa because of the verticality of it so you have a lot of white space so like a lot of the there's a lot of images of action or characters who like extend past the panel and obviously in this format they're expanding from one panel over to the other or they're on top of both panels right i think one of the ones i wish i could remember which issue but there's 12 issues but (laughs) in one of the issues Arrow is kind of standing like in front of like a crowd of people, but she's kind of clearly on top of the panels, not really belonging to one or the other. And I get the feeling that in the in the manhua, that's probably a little bit more elongated, and there's probably more white space between the actual panels, with her maybe appearing a little bit higher up. So I'd be curious to see what the paneling looks like from one end to the other. And one of the very few experiences I have with this, because I there's not a lot of like manhwa that gets like a traditional <laughs> paperback release here in the States. A lot of them are I think a lot of them do get it over in South Korea, but at least here that I can like read or find not a whole lot. But the like the very little experience I have with that is with a series called like Solo Leveling, which again is a vertical scrolling comic. And when I found the paperbacks, a lot of that stuff kind of gets kind of mixed in or reshuffled a little bit to fit in the traditional page format. So that's one of those things that, at least for me, I couldn't really not see. <laughs> like you know that whole idea of like you see the the seams right. And so for me, that was a lot of it. A lot of those panels really felt like they did a good job at kind of putting them in the traditional format. But I could see how a lot of those panels would fit in a vertical format. And so that's something I would love to compare. That seems like such an interesting challenge. Yeah, I I had similar thoughts as I was reading through this. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, obviously adapting the language is one thing. The rearranging of the panels, like that to me seems 
just as probably if not more interesting of the process that aside i also agree that i wish that i really wish we would have gotten some sort of satisfying narrative here because the personal narrative i felt was pretty pretty satisfying it still ends a bit on a cliffhanger where we see arrow continuing to train right she's moved on from being able to create air people and now she's kind of getting into the minutia of like maybe not spending so much energy to use her powers and like that's a really kind of neat little ending right where it's like oh cool you know we'll we'll see where she goes from here in arrow 2 electric boogaloo or whatever <laughs> but we start out with that really good well that really exciting intro where she's fighting madame huang and that dude uh keystone and we get that tease at the end of him kind of becoming full bad guy because capitalism. Because but, he's the capitalist, to be clear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and capitalists, like Tony Stark, are evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I really wish there was more, or at least it would have wrapped it up a little bit more here. But if it's still ongoing, or if it was, there was more ongoing, it does feel like it'd be a little hard to find like a good stopping like a, like a way to make it like a good stopping point because this just kind of feels like well we had 12 issues and this is where we end yeah yeah it, it it definitely feels like the ending was picked because this was how much story they could fit in 12 issues mm-hmm. so which is not the best reason to make a decision like that right yeah i'm also wondering because is it it was probably an extra step in all of this because is chinese one of the languages that reads right to left as well i how much of that would how much of that would be affected as far as like paneling i guess if it's like an infinite scroll like that where you know it's more suited for mobile and everything it might not matter but i don't know i just think it would be uh, that's another step i don't know i've done some translation and and like some things it's it's difficult, you know, going from one language to another. Yeah. Having a visual aspect and placement of the language on a page or whatever could make a difference in how things are perceived. I don't know. Based on my experience, like reading translated manga and manhwa, that feels like the like the layout of the word bubbles can go either way. Like I've seen it done, where the word bubbles kind of read from left to right in a lot of manhwa but like i think korean you read right to left or left to right i'm not sure actually i i know i just a lot of the the paneling or the word bubble placement i've seen kind of follows tradition or american traditional left to right i've never had that problem reading like translated uh manhwa but also i don't know if maybe part of the localization for that manhwa is maybe redrawing those so they make sense I don't think they do that in manga, but in manga, it's most common to see that the, the, the word bubble paneling, or, yeah, placement. The word bubble placement going from right to left. So, all of that to say, I don't know. <laughs> At least you can admit it. Yes. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh... Yeah, I really, I really just wish we got a little bit more but it feels like that beginning with a fight with keystone and metal huang really does feel like 
that's the end game. That's where we'll get to. And then, you know, maybe there was supposed to be a year of these, a couple years of publishing in China, and maybe they got there eventually, but at least for this book, yeah, it feels... It leaves you wanting more, but not in the good way. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of... Like, I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I like ambitious stories that get kind of frustrated for whatever reason. It's one of the reasons that I still find myself drawn to Firefly, even though, you know, it's aged kind of poorly in light of Joss Whedon revelations and things like that. It's one of the reasons I quite like the television show Pushing Daisies. It's why I fought so hard for that Panther's Rage story that we read, where the Black Panther gets in fights with the Ku Klux Klan. Um, I, I like these sorts of things. I think they're interesting artifacts, but that doesn't necessarily make them you know, really good reads. There's a lot of good stuff in here in Arrow's personal life. I like the superhero architect. I think that philosophically, architecture has interesting things to bring to superhero comics, if that makes sense. Like the way architects look at the world and the way that, you know, that philosophy can inform someone's superheroism. Uh, I, I, I think that's potentially really compelling. I like the way that this story is kind of tackling head on the idea that, hey, having a superhero around makes people complacent. They don't feel like they need to solve their problems because the superhero is going to solve their problems for them. They that don't even panic. To, you know, that gets alluded to in a lot of comics, uh, usually in stories that are not very good because it's obviously false. Like that's the attitude of Lex Luthor in many Superman stories. Um, but here it looks like it was going to get the serious treatment. And I'd be curious to see how it proceeds from there. So again, a lot of interesting stuff, but it does not pay off in these stories. The one thing that really does uh, go anywhere is the uh, threat of engagement between Lei Ling and Zhao Yu. And they get to a really good place where Lei Ling you know, just says, there's so much going on right now, I cannot get married. And Zhao Yu isn't a jerk about it. He just says, hey, I love you. I am here for you when you're ready for it. And it's very sweet. Sorry, they have the sweet story where he, like, fights a thug to get her phone back for her. And she, like, interferes with her, you know, uh, space magic or whatever it is. It's, it's all very fun. Um, I think it's also alluded to that he figures it out but respects her choice for not wanting to tell him. Because he does kind of... He seems like he's piecing together that she is Arrow. And yeah. when she visits the Institute to drop off the rock, he recognizes her voice. And I think it's one of those things where it's maybe implied that he is piecing it together. And maybe she has her... He understands that maybe she has her reasons for not telling him if he is correct that she is Arrow, which we know she is. Wait, she's Arrow the whole time? Blood twist. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Clark Kent, man, he can't be Superman. He's wearing he wears glasses. Have you ever seen him in the room at the same time? <laughs> you have actually, because Superman pretended not Superman, Batman pretended to be Superman once. Or something like that. Or something <laughs> yep. like that. Or something like that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so that was Yeah, I like I like that relationship between them. I also I, I know we don't 
I know we, uh, by contract, we are not allowed to like Iron Man in the, on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. But as a storytelling mechanic of kind of the idea that she needs to learn to team up with people and maybe offload some responsibilities and stuff like that. And, you know, it's her getting progressively more tired doing all this on her own. I thought when he popped in, like, that was a really nice kind of portion of it. Granted, you could have switched Iron Man out with literally any other hero, and that probably would have been the same story. Any hero who flies. I think that was, that. like, you need a a tech hero who flies. I I do think it kind of needed to be that. Yeah. So you could have had Sam Wilson. You could have had Sam Wilson. You could have had you could have had less toxic Iron Man, uh, Rhodey. Yeah, you could have had Spider Man. Honestly, you could have had Spider Man. You should have had Spider Man. Yeah, honestly though, I think I think China likes Iron Man. I was wondering if like maybe Spider Man isn't popular, maybe not outside of the United States, but in you know East Asia in China, I, I could see that being a thing. I think China tends to lean towards rich, like, tech industrialists. I think that's part of their thing. So that's probably why they like Iron Man. Because Spider-Man is super popular in Japan. Which which uh, adaptation of Spider-Man features him as a villain with a gun? Wasn't he's, that an old He's a Japanese hero. Adi- he just happens to be the emissary from hell. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that old chestnut. You can also thank <laughs> Spider-Man for Power Rangers. That's the whole reason we got that. Huh. Spider uh, Spider-Man kickstarted the whole genre in Japan. They do kind of have similar costumes, don't they? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So, so I think that's one of the things. I mean, I remember when was it Iron Man two came out. There was controversy, or not? Maybe not controversy, but it was just. A lot of murmurs and conversations about the fact that they filmed a specific China-only scene of, like, Iron Man dropping in on China. Be like, hey, yo, what's Mm -hmm. up? I love tech. You guys love tech. Okay, bye. And, like, that was the scene or something like that. I don't know. Um, That's probably wrong. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not that different from the Elon Musk cameo, which... uh, I'll take things that have aged poorly for 400 hours. (laughs) No kidding. Well, well even, in, even in the first Iron Man, he's like, don't put this on your MySpace page. And it's like, dude, MySpace is dead. Like, I mean, I con- considering that like he's at the same party now. that like Justin Hammer is at, I don't know that it's aged that badly. That's true. <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it was foreshadowing. It was like, hey, yeah, exactly. look at these bad guys. Weirdly, I think that even though the beginning of the story is the most like exciting action i think it was the wrong place to start i feel like the the correct place to start was uh, maybe in the scene in the restaurant with uh, the boyfriend about to propose because this narrative is just all over the place right i i think it's incomplete i think that eventually we'll get it'll wrap back around because it it seems less like it's meandering by someone who doesn't know what they're doing and more like we're setting the table and we're going to tell you this story to tell you this story you know the flashbacks made sense it just seems like this is incomplete and we haven't gotten it to wrap back around to you know shanghai getting squished 
Yeah, which I, I think that sort of like really long form storytelling is pretty typical in at least the the manhwa that I've read, the the webtoons and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I. I feel like this was the wrong place to start. I genuinely do. I think it was wrong for the format. Definitely wrong for the format. The, for the packaging, the way that this was presented. Yeah. Yeah. For having it be 12 issues, I would have not included that. I think I, I agree with you. I think if, if my job had been, we're going to adapt these 12 issues, and this is like all you have, this is all the content you have, it's like, okay, well, maybe can we get the 13th? chapter at that in there at the end and we'll skip this whole first part <laughs> but maybe is that dishonest to the to the source material i don't know pay yeah. kang to to draw some more panels like you're, yeah. you're marvel you're owned by disney you can afford it yeah exactly. no kidding <laughs> oh yeah the other thing i wanted to bring up i remember there was another thing i wanted to bring up and this kind of goes back to that conversation i was we were having about you know the philippines being shown in that comic which Granted, it wasn't that much in the wave story. I like how we see Shanghai here. We see it as a bit of like a really clean, kind of futuristic place. Maybe that's a little bit of propaganda. Maybe that's just a little bit of nationalism. Maybe you just, you know, you want to see your home country, area, city, place <laughs> look a little nicer than it's been depicted before. But I like how it felt not like i don't know not like how we traditionally see it where it even though it is like a nice city i think in american film or media we tend to see a lot of china kind of being maybe a little grimy and it is kind of interesting and neat to see it as a little bit nicer a little bit more cleaned up right kind of on the same scale that like you would see new york be adapted or the way we see like metropolis be shown yeah Again, I think an architect's perspective there could be really, really neat. Yeah. Like, that could be just a cool story. I've never seen a, a superhero architect before, I don't think. I think one of the Green Lanterns was, but I don't know of any others for sure. Uh, it wasn't Kyle Rayner, and he's the only Green Lantern who matters, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, John Stewart matters a lot. John Stewart matters uh, a fair bit. I don't know how I actually yeah. know if I've ever read a comic with John Stewart. He's great in the cartoon, though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting. I did like that little dialogue, that little kind of inner monologue that she has when she's finding Keystone in that first issue, where she's like, "I'm so used to like building, or you know, designing these buildings up, and now I have to tear one down with my powers." As she's like kind of struggling to like reconcile that, but uh, really, especially since like she, I guess, commissioned it or she was working to have that building stand for you know a hundred years or whatever, right? So like that, that's kind of an interesting dilemma. Again, it would be really nice to see that fleshed out, but <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Oh well. Brought brought an interesting uh, bit of scope to the fight where it's like she you know knew how tough the concrete was. It wasn't just we're gonna wreck a city in this superhero comic. It was oh my building I built myself or like oh you know that that was I think that was an interesting take because yeah my superhero architects I can't remember when I've seen that before. And and another thing I want to bring up just because 
I feel like it's kind of worth recognizing, even if it's just for like a little bit. I like her costume. I like that it's not like a traditional American costume where it's like a leotard or a dress. It's like a full bodysuit. Uh, With the weird like wind capey thingy going on. Yeah, that, it's kind of like a yeah. jacket because it goes over her arms too. It, it was, seemed like more functional um, and not just like, well, we're going to make this uh, skimpy yeah, and we're going to make it revealing and uh, that's what it's going to be about. It was more like, no, she's got to fly so she has this like slick kind of sleek suit going on. Yeah, so. and maybe maybe it's a bit of a cultural thing but I have noticed at least in like Korean manga uh, comics that like the women tend to be costumed a little bit more I guess maybe modestly than like in Japanese manga where they're very often good gracious yeah so so I don't know that's something I've been noticing a little bit and I don't know if that's necessarily an active decision because this is a superhero book so they were just like yeah we'll do the full body suit you know like Spider-Man or, or if it's more of a cultural thing. Uh, but I don't know. I just kind of... I, I like the costume. I like the line work on it. I like how she has like a lot of kind of like stripes separating different parts of the body. It's a good um, aesthetic design given the character and her themes and motifs. Mm-hmm. But also the little wind cape. Stop. Never and stops. Yes. Wind cape. Never stops. Wind cape. Completely not needed, but love it. <laughs> Yep. Well, wouldn't you if you could make a wind cape? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Spider-Man doesn't even fly, and he has little spiderweb cape every once in a while. <laughs> Should we rank this? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're one kind of set of comics, but we're going to rank them as two. Currently on our list, we have 226 stories. Ranging from The Sublime, starting, I would say, at around number 25 is when things get just basically unquestionably good. Number 25 being The Winter Soldier. And then the absolute stink burgers, just the worst of the worst, which feel like worst of the worst doesn't really start until, I don't know, maybe 218, Marvel Zombies 2. But then, boy, they're bad. I'd put it a little higher, but that's just my personal, like, stuff I'm just meh about, so. <laughs> Yet so, we've got these stories to, to rank. Where do we want to rank the Wave story? And I think the, that story has its own title. Yeah, I think it's like Destinies and Origins. Origins and Destinies. Origins and Destinies. I was close. You were close. So, just jumping out to me was number 141, and men shall call him Warlock, which is Adam Warlock's origin. Right. And this felt like more fun than that one for some reason. (laughs) Respect to Roy Thomas and Gil Kane, but um, I can't remember much about it. There's not much to it. (laughs) That's above, like, Portal City of Pan, right? Yeah, it is. Is that above Project Gilsimium? Um, Project Gilsimium is at one thirteen, which would, I think is a little, a little high. But yeah, I would put both of these. I know we're talking about one of them right now, but honestly, I would put both of them above Project Gilsimium. 
Yes, agreed. Why is this so high? <laughs> yeah. I don't Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I kind of I remember fighting for that one. Oh, okay. oh so that's why. Mm, okay. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think stay angry is kind of just fun. But you know, I think narratively an arrow is more interesting even though we're kind of left like eh at the end and um you know two issues with with uh, iron man in him at the end kind of just like eh it's like a disappointing dessert after a nice meal um but i think that's maybe around where this goes definitely above project gelsimian gelsimium um is that the same? Alyssa, wait, is that the same author yes, as part of the so. story? Yeah, yeah. So, so we're in Wongville right now, Alyssa Wongville, <laughs> in this section of the list. Um, I. Oh. What happens in Renewal, the new Mutants graphic novel? I honestly cannot remember, and I think I suggested it. That's the the origin of the New Mutants, where they. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the villain in that is, but like Sam Guthrie winds up working for the bad guys for a little bit, and then realizes he screwed up and right. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. rescues everyone. New Hope manga continues to kind of be a wall, but I would put this just below New Hope manga. I I was gonna say the Wave story just because it's so short. And I think it has potential to have been better if it was longer. I'm struggling to put it... Like, the more I thought about it, the more I'm kind of struggling to put it above Project Gosimium, which is an kind of equally short comic, but it's a lot felt a lot more complete from what I remember. It is complete. Yeah. I do think this is the right area for it, and I would probably put this above Better to Give. Maybe I'd actually put it between uh, Gosimium and Better to Give. Which yeah. Which is that... That's about what I was thinking as well. Sounds good. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Again, good luck tracking it down outside the uh, the Marvel Unlimited. Maybe maybe it's in one of those Atlantis attacks. And maybe we should actually read Atlantis attacks at one point. We've been dancing around it kind of unintentionally. Well, in a couple of days, you're going to want to read more of Namor. So... <laughs> Is that already coming out to Disney Plus already? Yeah. Sure. Um the fourth maybe soon i feels really quick but it, i don't know how it has it's been a while hasn't it since it came out october yeah or november maybe not yeah. that long <laughs> it's been a couple wow. months it's yeah. it's it's quicker coming to disney plus than i expected yeah but yeah anyway so the first trade collection of arrow is called before the storm and maybe that's just how we title this for now. I like it a little bit better than Origin and Destinies, but not much. And I cannot tell you how much of that affection is due to my love of sort of doomed artifacts and how much of it is my love <laughs> for Arrow the Marvel Snap card, right? <laughs> yeah, a good portion of it for me is the art. I, I love that yeah. type of art. I know John doesn't like it that much. Not a fan, but I get that it's for something. It's probably just not for me. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's totally fair. Art is subjective. It is. It is uh, Aldo uh, style. There we go. <laughs> Art is subjective, and John is objectively wrong. Oh snap! How dare you, I, sir? I try to stay away from making that same comment. <laughs> <laughs> what the? F- you. That being said, John, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just going to be over here sitting quietly, respecting everyone else's wrong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've earned it. You, you you were forced to watch Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> Good. Oh, don't know. Nope, Why must you poke the bear? No, that's fine. Uh, go back to sleep. <laughs> bear. Um, that that being said, though, as much as I am not a big fan of Squirrel Girl Volume One again. I don't know that I could put this above that. So I would put this above Project El Simeon, but below Squirrel Girl Volume 1 again. I would maybe go a little higher than that. My ceiling is the New Mutants graphic novel, which, despite the fact that I just demonstrated that I don't really remember it very well, feels like it has at least historical importance, which, uh, to me, indicates that it should be a little bit higher. Yeah, but... Man. But the thing is, Arrow makes one like air clone and squirrel girl has like a whole army of time clones so like if we're just going by clone <laughs> ratio i think squirrel girl would be a little better i did oh, forget man. about the time multiple squirrels girl multiple <laughs> man has uh, something he wants to t- talk to all of you about how many teenagers <laughs> did multiple man marry <laughs> Wait, what <laughs> what no, what's her what's her name? That that girl who knows things. Oh, hold on. If you Moon Girl? It's no, so no, dumb. No, no, no. no. It's so and so. I know stuff. That's her whole mutant power, but oh. she I don't know if she is a mutant. Yeah. It's in it's in um Sec no, Messiah Complex. Whatever her name is, she's a teenager and she winds up marrying multiple men and it's super weird. It's super weird. Anyway. Layla Miller. That was going to bother me. Sorry, she knows stuff. Okay. Layla, Layla Madrix. Yeah, how, how do you feel about that decision, John? Right above Project Gilson. Listen, I want to side with you, Aldo, as is our tradition. <laughs> um, on occasion, actually, you know what? No, it's kind of even, because sometimes um, you guys are wrong, and sometimes Aldo and I are teamed up. Uh, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to put. There's, there's something there that intrigues me uh-huh. uh, about Arrow, you know. Um, so I'm more. Where's the, where's the, where's the compromise space where everyone loses? Um, <laughs> I mean, the the margin here is so narrow. I don't think there is one. <laughs> yeah, because there's some You're stuff right. Like debating I... between spot one oh nine and one thirteen. Yeah, because yeah, okay. there are, like, I don't know, there are things where it's, like, I like Typhoid Mary, but I think as having a protagonist girl, female character, I think Arrow is a stronger, like, lead for a book. Yeah. But at the same I time... I thought Marvel Comics 1000 was more entertaining. Yeah. But, like, also, like, Squirrel Girl, as, as much as I am not a Ryan North fan, I was a more complete story, and it has time clones <laughs> which yeah I said sorry that a, steven i said that as a joke but honestly if if one of our complaints is like how it just kind of ends 
not being very satisfying, Squirrel Girl has a very satisfying end. It does. It does. He's using the clone defense. So, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, there are a lot of arguments for moving it up or down, up or down, but honestly, I would feel probably more comfortable putting it right below Squirrel Girl. Yep, I agree. That's that's my vote. What do you think of that? What do you think of that, Stephen? I uh, agreed with him before you did. So <laughs> <You> did. <laughs> oh, I was giving you a chance to put it up a little higher. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like very often nowadays our stories wind up ranking very close together. Although I did just <laughs> scroll past Wonderful Wizard of Oz, which vastly outstripped uh, the Pride and Prejudice adaptation in the ranking. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's definitely not a rule. Anyway, next episode, we're going back to our normal routine of picking two vaguely thematically linked stories. Although this time <laughs> the theme is less vague and more Marvel comics in the 90s and 2000s having Wolverine and all of We're reading two Wolverine team-up stories by creative teams who are overall pretty solidly represented on our list we're going to read astonishing spider-man and wolverine from 2010 which was written by jason aaron a pretty strong presence on our list and we're also going to read the wolverine and gambit victims miniseries from 1995 with some tim sale art i guess tim sale's not on our list that much but we had a pretty intense conversation about him not that long ago so i i guess I am thinking of him in terms of having featured him a lot recently, even though we didn't really. Anyway, should be cool. Yeah, I'm excited because I remember Astonishing not being very good on, <laughs> on my reread of it. I remember liking it a lot on my initial read and then rereading it. And I was like, oh, why do I have all six of these issues? <laughs> I think I, I actually get sometimes. I think I actually gifted those issues to somebody else. <laughs> I I suggested the Tim Sale one mostly because I think it's the only Tim Sale book I haven't read in Marvel where where you know it's like a spotlight on a different hero like he has Daredevil Yellow we read Captain America White is not that great. It's kind of just like, oh, here's a little story that we're wedging in when uh, he was with the Howling Commandos and maybe it's better on a reread, but I don't remember being thrilled by it. Um, Spider-Man Blue I love, so and Hulk Gray is pretty good, but um, yeah, this was like the last one on the list that I know of for Marvel. Maybe there's other stuff floating around out there, but yeah, anyway. Who made the decision to title that story Captain America White? Look, it wasn't my decision. 